0: Well, guys, welcome to Young Adults. My name is Jared. It's good to be back with you all. Uh, we are starting the, seri- the, the semester with a series called Glow Up. And if you don't know what glow up means, it's a significant improvement or a transformation. And as we were talking about things in young adults' lives that need transformation or improvement, uh, one of the things that we're talking about is friendship. So tonight's message is how to be a better friend, how to glow up your Friendships. Uh, Friendship's such a funny thing, it's a multiplier. Friendship is a multiplier. If you are happy in a moment, if something funny happened, but the right friend is in the room, it's 10 times funnier, right? Listening to one of your friends laugh at something that happens multiplies how funny it is. When something funny happens, you bring it to your friend that you know will laugh, and they multiply that joy with you, and man, when, when, when difficulty happens, they multiply you, you the help that you receive just being with someone. It's such a good thing. Um, people value friendships differently. Um, me and my wife are two very different people. Uh, she grew up, she had from the time she was born her fam, she had a family friend that had a, a girl that was the same age as her, and they were just best friends through, through really college, and it was like, why have any more friends when you just need like your one person, right? Like That's just how she, she valued her friends, and I couldn't be more different. I see a night like tonight, and Tyler's like, how'd you meet anybody new? I'm like, I have like 40 friends that are a young adult. Like, things are going pretty well for me. Like I have a lot of friends, uh, and I knew it was super different uh, when I came to Missouri State to go to college. Uh, my first semester, I had a PLS, Political Science 232, International Relations class, and it's as boring as it sounds, and it, if it was interesting, the professor that taught it that year taught it from a PowerPoint, that he would do the tests over the PowerPoint, and he'd give you the PowerPoints uh, afterwards, but he would require you to be there, or he'd drop your letter grade, so I'll, I went. I was a good you know, student. Uh, I sat there and watched his PowerPoints, very, very bored, um, until I learned that I could download like game emulators on my computer and I could like play Game Boy games from my youth on my computer and I was like, I'm here, I'm not paying attention. And so I was, I was like playing a Pokemon game or something one time and that's what I did the whole semester. I say it like I played multiple games. I played Pokemon most of that semester and I'm playing this game and there's this guy, he was in Theta Chi, I knew because he had uh, you know, a quarter zip on that said Theta Chi and uh, he sat a seat and a half, or two seats away from me, and he would like take notes and like lean towards me, but he was watching me play Pokemon for sure, he was watching me play a game on my computer, and it was fine, I was, I was there for it, and uh, the only word he ever said to me, I like caught some Pokemon one time, and he, he just like really quietly goes, nice, and I saw that dude, ne- never spoke to him, never discussed class assignments, never asked what the homework, n- never spoke to him. Me and my wife were downtown. We weren't married yet. We were downtown, and I see this guy, and I'm like, hey, what's up, bro? And I dapped him up, and then I see him, and he leaves my office. She's like, who was that? And I was like, he's in my class. And she's like, what's his name? I was like, I don't know. (laughs) And she's like, no, 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 like, you know him. You said hi to him. You talked to each other like you knew each other. I was like, that's like the first time I've talked to him, but he's like my best friend in that class. And like, she was like, that doesn't make any sense to me. She was like, I would never call someone who does that, that with me, my friend. People value friendships differently. And friendships are unique because you can leave a situation and feel very differently about how it went based on your emotions, based on interactions with friends, with new people, that people that you want to be friends with. Um, you will leave here tonight and everybody in the room will have a different perception of what happened when you walked in, when you were greeted, when someone sat down next to you or didn't sit down next to you. Everybody has a different perception of what their friends value them, don't value. But I think we look at friendship and we're like, we need it, but is it, is it really that necessary? Um, if you were to take all of the movies in DVD form and all of the music in CD form, and you made a pile out of all of the, the music and all of the movies that were romance-based, on this side of the stage, it would be a massive pile. And even in just in the last five years, all the movies that the main thought, the main idea is about romance, is about finding your person, is about chasing after that person, if that's the main plot line, that would be it. And then on this side of the stage, you took all the, all the movies and all the music and said, if this is about your buddy, it's on this side, it'd be like eight movies, and they'd mostly be kids' movies, right? Like, I looked up, I'm doing research for this message, movies about friendship, and it's like, remember the Titans and like WALL-E are like two of the top ones that come up, and you're like, what in the world is is even going on? Even, I was just thinking of this the other day, there's a show, one of the most popular TV shows of all time, it's called Friends. And the most important plot lines of Friends are not about Friends, they're about relationships. If you look up the most popular episodes of the, of the show, Friends, Ross and Rachel, right? You've got, you've got, I don't even remember their name, Chandler and Monica, you've got, you, those are the relationships that people, the, the last episode, what happens, Rachel walks in and says, I didn't, get off the, I didn't get on the plane, right? It's not about Joey and Chandler moving back in together. Why, because friendships are valued differently in our culture, but that's not necessarily what we see God's word do with friendships. Friendships are an important thing, and you know that. You know that friendships are important because friendships are a multiplier. You could have had good friends, maybe in high school or maybe you're in college and you've got great friends, and you can have great friends, but you still don't feel like they know you or they value you or they really listen to you, even if they're good friends, sometimes. And sometimes that's just the perception because of the way that you feel, even if they are good friends. Having good friends makes a big difference. You probably had someone at your high school that you were close with maybe in elementary school. You get into middle school and maybe they played a sport you didn't play. They were friends with some different people who maybe were into some different things than you and they got involved with those friends and their life took a very different path. Why? Not because anything crazy different was going on, but because they were friends with those people. First Corinthians fifteen thirty three says this: Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals or corrupts good morals. You know what it doesn't say? You know what ruins your morals? Your enemies, your villains, your archenemies. Like that's not what it says. It says that bad company. It doesn't say that isolation ruins your morals. It says bad friends ruin your morals. You know what that means? Your morals are your upbringing, your standards, the things you hold yourself to. You know what ruins those? People that you surround yourself with. You've seen it, whether they're good friends, they're bad friends. Maybe you have friends that you're like, man, I, in high school I just didn't find the right people. I just surrounded myself with people that they thought I was useful because I had a certain number of Instagram followers. They thought I was useful because my parents had the pool. They, they found some usefulness in you or even vice versa. You found usefulness in them, and once that usefulness was gone, that friendship was gone. You felt played. You felt like that friend failed you, like you, they weren't there for you, like they burned you and used you. They, were, they gossiped about you. They hurt you. Or maybe you're like, man, I, I'd even be happy to have some bad friends. I just don't have people. I'd just be happy to have somebody I can text, somebody I can send TikTok things too, like that, that's all I want. I want somebody that'll laugh with me even if they don't have good intention for me. You don't have people, well the, the Bible sets a model and a guide for what friendship can be for wise friends in a culture that couldn't be more different, in a world that wouldn't say anything more of the opposite of what friendship could and should be. So I wanna start off by asking two questions. Two questions for each of you. What do I want my friendships to look like? What do I want from my friendships? What do I want? Play this out into your 70s. Play this out to when you have kids, when you're married, when, when your kids are graduating from high school. What is the role of, not your kids, friends, parents, that type of thing. Like, what is the role of your friends in your life? What do you want from those relationships? Dream about what that would be. My second question would be, what do you bring to a friendship? What can you bring to a friendship? Because I understand there might be some people here that are like, man, I don't feel like I have much to add at this moment, I'm hurt. I've been burned by people. My parents didn't set me up, things are hard, I get that. But as we think through this, I want you to think through the lens of those two questions. We're gonna start off tonight in in a different place than than maybe what you'd expect in friendship, but I think this sets the standard for what God's word says about friends and what it should and could look like. We're in Ephesians four to start, and what we see is this is what, what Paul is saying to the people in Ephesus about what their church community should look like, what their group of believers should look like, and I want you to read this with eyes of that's possible here and that's possible with me. So, Ephesians 4, verse 12. Ephesians 4, 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You see the the future-minded focus that Paul had towards relationships and what the church should be toward each other. There's an attitude of growing up into the stature, into mature manhood, into maturity in faith. But look at verse 15. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him, into the head, into Christ. I read that this week and I was like, man, I I need that. That's not, that is not, we have to separate and disassociate the idea that like that that is for the church to do for me and I get to stand back and not be a part of it. No, if you are a believer, you you should be a member of a church, but you are a member of the big church that God has accumulated for himself. And this, this church is God's method, his vehicle for showing the world who he is. And this is how it happens. You are a part of it. This is the type of friendship that he wants us to have, speaking the truth in love so that we grow up into an image of a person that looks like Jesus? Who doesn't want that within their friends? Who doesn't desire that? So here's here's my big overarching point. If you leave with one thing, this is what I want you to understand. This message is titled, How to Have Better Friends or How to Be a Better Friend. This is the one point that I would want you to walk away with. How do we do that? Better friends care for your soul. Better friends care for your soul. There's so many things, and we'll talk about some different things, some how-tos, and some 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 very specific things. But as I was putting this together, I was like, man, what's what's the value system that God changes in his believers, in his followers, in his family of, of God that like radically changes the way that we operate as people? John 13, 34. I was gonna save this for the end of my message, but i want to read it to you now. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And listen to this in this last verse in 35. By this, by the way that you love each other, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is not just having a attitude of like, I love you from way over there. This is a being known and being loved because God knows and loves you. Because God knows and loves the people that you're friends with. Whether they're good or bad or, or, or you're just trying to make some, the people that you are around, God knows and loves. So we should know in love. Better friends care for your soul. Better friends don't just step in and go, okay, what, how can you help me? How can this interaction be something that's, that's beneficial to both of us? Because there are times that your soul's not gonna feel that. Your soul's not gonna be ready for that. So how do we make better friends and how do we be a better friend is really what we're gonna ask tonight. So I have three points, and we'll be kind of in Proverbs in some different places. Um, but how do we make friends? Like, it's, it's, a different, it's a different and difficult thing post high school. Because high school, you're around the same people every day, whether you like it or not. And college can be kind of the same thing, but sometimes it's like, I got a roommate. I'm not about this roommate, so wouldn't call them my friend. I think everybody has a story uh, and maybe if they're sitting in the room, you don't have to like point at them or anything, but you have a roommate your freshman year where you're like, I, I didn't understand, you know, what language they were speaking, but it wasn't the same language I was speaking. I know it was English, but they were a different person. And, and you're like, how do, how do you go and actually find people that value the same things you do, that love the same things you do? I have three points. The first one is find a common interest. This is, this is the most basic how to find a friend that you will see, but there are things in it that I think are the most important. You, you find common interests. You have to have a foundation for your friendship. You probably have something with even your best friend that you were like, man, we connected because we both like this band. We both went, you know, we, we both went to school at the same spot. You have this thing, we, we, we both were on the same baseball team. We were, we were in the same cheer group. We were, you have this thing that has common binding you together that you're like, oh, that's so good. But if it stays there and that's all it is, you're missing the point. And as believers, God values people's souls, so we should value people's souls. So what is not just maybe the the first thing that you connected with someone about, what is maybe the deepest thing that you could connect with someone about? And I would argue if you're a believer, if God has changed your life, if you knew that you were destined for hell and God came to you and saved you gave you a future and a hope with him, that is your deepest connection point with anyone. And even if that person doesn't know Christ yet, you can connect with them because it's like, I was in the same boat. Regardless of what the sin was, you can realize I was on the same path towards hell and a life separated from God because of the way that I lived before I knew Christ. So the deepest way that we can connect with someone is understanding my soul is broken, I bring sin into every situation that I'm a part of, but God changed me. And whether he's done that for your friend or not, that's the deepest level of connection that you can have. I wanna show you two, two quick things. One of them is in Philippians. It's going to be up on the screen, but I want you to just think about and, and, and consider. Paul is writing to this group in, in Philippi, and, and he's, he, he does this all the time where he has kind of this like standard intro into his talk with them. But in Philippians, you can see that these people are like dear, dear, deep friends to them. I want you to, to, to watch along with this. So Philippians 1 verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day and until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all affection of Christ Jesus. And then in verse nine, I don't think I put it up there, but he says it, and it is my prayer that you may love, may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Like, he's just abounding with affection with them. Why? Because he shares the deepest thing. There might be people in the room that you've got history with, people in the room that have wronged you, people in the room that you might consider former friends, that if you just take a step back, and you remember, they're a broken person. And I'm a broken person. But God views them the same way that he views me. We shouldn't have people in our lives that we're like, yeah, they're they're dead to me. Yeah, they're not a friend anymore. Why? Because no one is a former friend to God. No one is dead to God. No one is too far gone from God. Now, does that mean we live our lives without boundaries, without wisdom? Absolutely not. But it means that us as Christians have to have a different attitude than the rest of the world, that we don't write people off, and we don't say, never again. We believe in them, we hope for them. Why? Because we share the same common belief that we were broken, but God came in and saved us. Not by anything that we've done, but by a gift of God, that we share that common interest. We share it. Even if, even if they don't, let me challenge your, your way of thinking potentially. Even if they don't share the same faith as you, you can view them as they're still broken, they still need God. So I still need to be their friend. We need to have friends that don't believe the same thing that we do so that we can invite them in and show them what it said in John show all of the world that we're his disciples. Why? Because of the way that we love each other. So you need a foundation. You need to find common interest. Secondly, you need to invest in the relationship. If all of my relationship was just finding our one common piece, and then every time I passed you, I was like, saying those cardinals, and you were like, saying those cardinals it would get real old real fast. That you'd be like, that's all that Jared knows me as, that's all, now, now some people, that, it's gonna be one thing if that's, if that's the case, but you have to build on this relationship, you have to invest into this relationship, and I have some, some points to this, I have some subpoints to this, and some things, some wisdom that we see in Proverbs, but I, I wanna even challenge your thinking in like, what well, can only be the people that I spend a lot of time with. Um, we, uh, we adopted our son, Weber, in December, and it was such a, it was such a crazy time because we, we had to pick up everything, drop my kids off in St. Louis, go to Georgia, pick them up. Uh, we were there for, for like uh, a week. My wife was there for two more weeks uh, waiting for paperwork to clear so we could get there. Um, it's a wild story. God, God provided through, through many people that we know and, and, and just unbelievable provision. We were, we were still owed our adoption agency $17,000, so God provided all of it in a three-hour window, and just so many cool things happened. One of the things that I remember happened was there was a guy that was at school at the same time I was, kind of friends of some friends. He even went to a different church, but he's an awesome guy. His name's Chase, uh, awesome guy. He's a, he's a youth pastor, and, and he's such a good guy, and I never really, I mean, we'd spend 15 minutes with each other here and there, and, you know, I'd see his posts, and I'd cheer for him and his family, but there was never this, like, He's a friend from afar. Like, I don't really even know too much about him. And I remember, I don't know how he got it, but he got my phone number and he texted me and he was like, hey man, I'm following your stuff you're putting on Facebook and I just want you to know I'm praying for you, man, that's so awesome. And I was like, he, here was a guy who we've never spent more than 30 minutes together at a time. He, we, we have not invested into each other's lives and here he was investing into my life at a time where things are vulnerable, things are up in the air, things are in transition. And here's what I would challenge you to do. Don't put a limit on who you view as a friend. Because the tendency is, if life goes up like this, and, and maybe you're a little bit more like this, and things are going good, and then they're going bad, and the, the tendency is to drop friends off at the peaks and the valleys. When you're in the valley, things are going so bad financially, with school, family, whatever, emotionally, you start to get tunnel vision on your problem and everything else is periphery. Don't drop your friends off. It's when you need them the most. And then when things are going really well and you have a new dating relationship, you're like, I don't need friends, I got a lady. Like, if she's gonna be my one, she's gonna be everything. One, not true. And two, how many times have we seen somebody, man, I haven't seen so-and-so. I started dating somebody. Oh, okay. Four months later, they show back up. Hey, guys, how's it going? Oh, did you break up? Yeah, things aren't going soon. Oh, okay. You do know like, we lose relationships in these moments. Don't lose your friends in the highs and the lows. Keep investing in relationships, even when you're like, this may not get me anything out of it. My friend Chase, I call my friend, he didn't get anything out of sending me a text message and saying he was praying for me, but I remember it. Why? Because he invested in a relationship when he stood nothing to gain out of it. So a couple things on how to build on the relationship. I wanna read, um, read you a couple things. Um, vocalize things, your gratitude, your needs, your issues, your, your, your stuff. Uh, my wife said, said me to, this to me yesterday as I was going through this. She was like, I have learned that great friends are awesome but none of them can read minds. No friend can read somebody's mind. Um, if you've got gratitude, if you've got things that you need out of a relationship, if you are hoping for accountability, one you need to be transparent in that, but you also need to ask, "Hey, will you help me in this?" Friends are awesome, but they cannot read your mind. I want to read you two verses in Hebrews, Hebrews 3:12. Take care, brothers. Lest there be any of you, be any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know what it means to exhort somebody? Push them along. Keep them moving in the right direction. You know what we all need? A pushing in the right direction. And when I want to step away, I need a friend to come in and go, no, 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 Jared. Not the way to live. Not the right thing to do. And then I want to read you Hebrews 10. 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the same, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encourage each other. Stir each other up. You know what that means? Like, You're not gonna sit still. Your friendships are not gonna remain stagnant. You know what one of the grossest things is? Stagnant water. And I don't know why it's gross. Nothing happened to it. But that water that sat by your bed gets nasty. Why? Because it sat stagnant. Don't let your friendships get stagnant. When you see a friend who's doing something good, encourage them. You know one of the most encouraging things for me and my wife was when we first got married? We joined a small group. And one, we sat around and we listened to people in a small group talk about things like finances that we were like, They can talk about money, and they're like, they're being honest about it. We're like, okay, it's kind of nice to see that other people, you know, communicate about money differently. We were just married, so we were like, this is all new for us, and it was really growing for us. But we listened to somebody say, like, yeah, this is what we do to be generous: we tithe, we give, but then we take out a twenty every month and we put it in our wallets and we look for something to be be uh, generous. And we were like, twenty bucks a month. I mean, that's we can we can afford that. So each of us we started doing that, and it was awesome to see like. Just by communicating. They didn't say, hey, you should do this. They just said, this is what I do. And we were like, we gotta do that. It's contagious. We have to do that. We have to vocalize things. We can't assume that people just know and know how to read our minds. We need to ask for help. Proverbs 27, nine says, the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. The sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Counsel. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. This is a contrasting thought. Like one of them is like an encouragement. Man, your counsel was so sweet. You know who was nice to talk to today? My friend, I saw him. It was sweet. Loved hearing, they encouraged me. It was awesome to be around them. And then on the other hand, I need somebody to go, Jared, you knew that was not the right thing to do and you did it anyway. Stop. We need both. You have the iron sharpening iron. You have the sweetness of a friend in counsel. We're, we're made to help each other, but it can't be one end of the spectrum or the other all the time. It can't be the friend who's always like, man, it's so good to see you, but you got something on your face and they won't tell you, right? When I leave a lunch with somebody and I've got something in my teeth, and I'm like, we sat and talked for 20 minutes after I ate, and Big Dog never told me I had anything in my teeth, and I'm like, I feel like, in it. Did, does he hate me? no. You need both in a relationship. You need the friends that when things are hard, they look at you and go, man, I love you so incredibly much. You know that, right? Yeah, I know that. Can I tell you about something hard that has been going on that I wish would stop? That's difficult. There's a verse. There's a verse, it's uh, Proverbs 27, five and six. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the profuse are the kisses of an enemy. That's like old Hebrew poetic language. There's like line one, line two, line one, line two repeated. So it's saying it's better to have an open rebuke than to have someone who falsely gives you confidence about things that aren't true. It says, better are the, are the rebukes, the wounds of a friend. You know what that's kind of referring to? Surgery. You know what I would hate to happen? is for someone to cut me. It'd be an awful thing. It hurts, there's blood, there's illness that can happen whenever you get cut, you can get, you can get sick from blood. That's never a good thing. But if I have a sickness that can only be healed from something, cutting my, my skin open, removing what's harming me, and carefully putting it back together, I want that, I need that, we all need that. I heard someone say, instead of giving our enemies a club, give our friends a scalpel. And know that it's never gonna feel good. That when they come to you and say, hey I love you, and I'm not telling you that because this is happening I'm gonna leave your friendship. Saying, I'm telling you this because I love you. We need to help each other. Um, There's an aspect of this that we need to be known in doing this. We don't just walk around with scalpels cutting people and hurting them. Um, Proverbs 27, 14 says, Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. Whoever blesses his neighbor, that's a good thing. You just read the first line and you're like, I want neighbors who bless me. But it says, a loud voice early in the morning, no one wants that. Like, you come in my house before my alarm goes off, I'm not gonna be happy with you, even if you're saying nice things to me. Proverbs 25:20 20 said, whoever sings a song to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Like, if you're going through the hardest time, and I come in, chipper, hey, how's it going? You're gonna be like, you need to get out of here before I start throwing hands. Why? Because in friendships, there needs to be this attitude of like, I'm not just coming in with, Jared's got all the right advice. That's not a fun friend to be around. A fun friend to be around is to come in and go, man, I know what your past is, and I know what some of those hurts are, I know what you're going through right now, and I know what your future hopes and dreams are, so I'm going to choose wise words instead of the first words. Give your friend a scalpel. But for these things to happen, we have to be transparent. We have to ask for accountability. Sometimes we have to invite people in to give them accountability. We have to build. We have to invest in these relationships if we expect good things to happen. There, my two other points under this are there's no substitute for time, There's no substitute for time. And you have to give what you can. You can't be for everyone what everyone needs. You are not Jesus Christ. You're not the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean we don't do anything. You know what I'm grateful for? My friend Chase doing what he was able. It encouraged me. It let me know that there were people out there, whether I knew them well or not, were praying for me and were there for me. But there's no substitute for time. Sometimes I think we want to microwave friendships because we're used to social media. We're used to like, I know them. I follow them on all all the platforms. I know what they're going through. Well, maybe you don't. You need to go spend some time with people. That's why in two weeks, when we have a small group kickoff, maybe you need to show up and instead of just like, man, I gave them my number and they invited me, but it never seemed like something I wanted to do. Maybe you need to go for like eight weeks. I said that and it was like, that's a long time. No, 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 maybe you need to go for a little bit and invest some time and see what the reward is on the other side. There's no substitute for time. And give what you're able. There might be something where you're like, man, I've got three hours a week. Invest that three hours wisely and watch how it rolls back to you. Watch how God will give you friends both with prayer and asking for it and saying, okay, who are the people that God's put around me that I can invest time in? Okay, that's all under invest in the relationship. Uh, My third point. Be present in pain. Be present in pain. So you find a common interest, you invest in the relationship, and you be present in pain. And this is a difficult one because sometimes the pain is self-inflicted. Sometimes it's inflicted from a friend. Sometimes you just need to let people be there for you. Sometimes you need to allow people to be there for you. Proverbs 17 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. You know, that verse is getting at, it's not saying that like, man, brothers are there through the thick and thin. It's saying it's like, family may not like you, but they'll be there for you in hard times, right? They'll show up, they'll help you get your tire fixed, they'll do these things. But a friend chooses to be there at all times, both in the bad times and the good times. They choose to be there Are there people in your life that you are choosing to be there for, to be present in the pain of someone else? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it's not gonna do anything for you. You're not gonna get something out of it that you're like, man, I called my friend who was going through a hard time and I was really blessed by it. That's not always the case. Sometimes, but maybe. But most of the time, I mean, one of the things that I've heard is that when we're with people, we double the joy that we experience when we're with them and we half the pain. Um, Me and my wife joined that small group when we first got married and, and we had some of our, our closest friends. We, we prayed for a long time because we, we had just moved here. i just started at the church. We'd, we'd been here for a couple of years and i just started at the church. We'd just gotten married. We didn't really have a ton of married friends and we prayed for, for, for friends. And um, we, Honestly, the prayer was give us friends that are like family because most of our family is in St. Louis and God truly, I felt like, gave us that. And um, things were great. I mean, we had a great small group. And, and those relationships are still some of my favorite to this day. Um, in, in the summer of 2019, um, my brother had a, had a son. And this son, this son was alive for 28 days. He had a rare lung disease. And we have, my family prayed for him that whole time. We didn't know he had this disease until the last couple weeks. And... Um, we prayed for him, we prayed for him. We had both of our, our, my church here and, and their, their church in St. Louis praying for him and um, the last couple of days things were, were not looking good and they were doing some end of life like last ditch efforts to, to, to help make things work for his lungs and I remember where I was and my brother, <clears throat> my brother Aaron called me. It wasn't his son, it was my other brother and he called me and he said, hey, Barrett passed away. <laughs> and I remember just being broken. It it, it rocked me. Because I just assumed, I was like, God, so many people praying for him, he's gonna live. And he died, and I just remember falling on the ground and saying, God, why is this happening? And I remember I was was just laying on the floor next to my my bed. And I remember um, my wife came and sat with me, and she was so kind, and... (laughs) I remember um, she said, hey, I called. (laughs) She said, I called Kyle and Clint to come over and sit with you. And I said, why? I don't want anybody to see me like this. I was mad at her. My pride said, don't let anyone see me in my vulnerability. And I remember I picked up and I sat on the couch and I was like, (laughs) I was going to look good, right? And they came, I remember they came in the door and I could tell they didn't know what to say. And I, I... They just came and they sat on both sides of me. And I can't tell you, I don't remember what they said. I can't remember if they prayed for me or not, but what I remember is they just sat next to me. In one of the ugliest moments of my life, in one of the, 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 the saddest moments of my life that I felt like there was no hope, they just came and sat with me. They were there for me. This did not gain them anything. but I had friends that were with me at good times and bad times. And we all have the capacity to do this. (laughs) Um, Why is this important? Why do we need to foster friendships that look like this? Because by this, by the way that you love, all people will know that you are disciples by the way that you love. Love is not just when it's good for you. Love is not just when it's convenient. Love is at all times. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 is again talking about the church and the way that they should love each other. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. It's saying that we should protect each other. When it says bear all things, we're called to be a roof for each other so that when a, when a rain comes, when a storm comes, I'm gonna be a roof for you. Why? Because love you. It hopes all things. It hopes that, man, this is not the end for you. This is not the end of the road. It might be difficult. This is not the end of the road for you. It believes all things. It believes that you have a future. God is still working in you just the same way he's working in me, and it endures. Love endures all things. This is not a short-term relationship. As I was thinking about this message, I was like, man, if I could pray one prayer, it would be that we have lifelong relationships that make each other more like Christ. Why, because we value each other's souls the way that God does for us. As I was looking up verses on, on friendship, um, you know, there's the, there's the verse about, seldom does one man lay down his life for a friend. but That's what Jesus did for us, and, I was, I was brought to Romans 5, 6 where it says, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And that last sentence stuck with me. Christ died for the ungodly. And I have looked over that. I've read that a hundred times. If you started the verse, I could probably finish it for you. But that sentence, Christ died for the ungodly. You know what he did? He loved so much that he sacrificed for the people that were ungodly. They were not like him. It's easy for me to sacrifice when I think that someone can benefit me. But you know what this is the analogy of? This is the analogy of saying that Jared showed up for, cared for, paid for lunch, went to your game, showed up, helped you move for the people that were the most unlike Jared. And I don't know that I could say that that's true of me, but because of God, He showed up for me when I was my most unlike Him. Christ died for the ungodly so that we could have a relationship with Him. And I look at people that are slightly different than me and I'm like, I could never be their friend. But God showed up for me in a way That should change my every moment and should change every relationship that I have with people around me. And it's not just me. He did that for you. When you were at your most opposing to God, he loved you enough to die for you. That's why I love it. It says at just the right time, he didn't wait for a moment. It was the wrong time. He had just the right time. He died for the ungodly. Will you bow your heads? I want you to consider one thing.